If you'll please take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3. We're making our way through the book of Ephesians, and we find ourselves at a pivotal point in the book um, because chapters 1 through 3 contain the main doctoral portion, and now we begin the shift to chapters 4 through 6 where it's the practical application of our doctrine in life. So Paul wants to focus his praise and our attention on God's power in salvation. So this morning we're going to be looking specifically at verses 20 and 21, but I want to start at verse 14 uh, just for us to remind ourselves of the prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians and ultimately prays for us. So hear the word of the Lord. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so much more ready to answer than we are to ask, but Father, we come begging you to open this word to us, that as we study it, we become and are drawn closer to our Savior, that our desires become your desires in the sense that you are the one who direct, and so Lord, get our souls, our priorities in line with yours. And so Father, you teach And you give us the Holy Spirit this morning. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So verse 20 and 21 that we're looking this morning. And so the first thing is, this is a doxology. It's a praise. It's adoration. And so Paul's finishing up his prayer for the Ephesians and now finds himself in the midst of praise. And he's praising God for two very specific things. The first one is that we praise for the God who is able And we talk about this because it is more abundant. God is all-powerful. And we understand that, and people usually don't have a problem with God being all-powerful. Usually the problem comes when we ask, but is God good? And if God's good, is he caring? If he's caring, is he willing to answer the things that we ask or think? And so if we understand that God is all-powerful, he tells us very clearly that he does things, all things that we ask of him. Now, again, if we're honest, if we're truly honest in our recollections of how we live with Christ, most of us are often fearful or maybe even embarrassed to go to him Um, because we just don't think that he can answer our prayers, I mean, I'm reminded very clearly of when we prayed for uh, the building of the sanctuary and we were starting in the process of saying, we need to raise money. We need to raise at least 300,000. It was was like, we're a small church. So God, if you can maybe do 250, maybe that will be good. And what does God do? God provides over 500,000 plus dollars from within a very small congregation. 
See, so oftentimes we put God within a box. We begin to limit what he can and cannot do. God's very clear from James chapter 4, verse 2. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Why? Because you do not have, because you do not ask. See, a lot of times we try to do things within our own power. We try to find things. We try to find answers to our own problems. William Carey, who's considered to be one of the fathers of the modern missionary, uh, said this, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And this is someone who went out whose, whose own wife didn't want to go to India he was destitute by all the standards of the world. He had was told by many people, you will never succeed. And yet he goes and he understands that God will provide the means and the way for it to happen. And actually in India, he's the one who starts the first, um, a lot of the orphanages that happen there. He's one of the ones who starts the process of building seminaries. And it starts to extend the extenuation of education throughout the country. So many things happen underneath this ministry just because he's willing to, to ask. And so we have to ask for all things, and, but he goes farther. He doesn't say, hey, just don't ask for all things. He says, I can do far more than ever you think or imagine. See, God knows exactly what we really need and when we need it. Brian Chappell says this about this passage. He says, how do we measure what God can do? For he holds the whole earth in his hands. He created the universe, but continues to control the light in your room. He controls the decay of an atom in the most distant galaxy. He makes the flowers grow and the snow fall. He rides on the wings of a storm and holds a butterfly in the air. And he who was before the beginning of all still knows and uses time in his tool of healing, restoration, and retribution. Our thoughts are as a window to him. Generations to come from us are already fully known to him who loves our family more than we do. He looks at the length of your life as a handbreadth and makes our soul, though sinful, his treasure forever. Such is the God who hears our prayers and is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or even imagine. Let me ask you, how big are your prayers? Do we really go asking God to do things that are far more than we ask or imagine? Remember Joseph. Joseph said what you intended for evil to his brothers, God intended for good. When Jesus fed the 5,000, the disciples said, there's not enough food here to feed the people. When Jesus looks, he says, how many are the leftovers? See, we have to put ourselves in the perspective, the right perspective, to say, are we really praying to the God that we think is able. And again, he says, before these things, you need to ask and think. Ask. Again, a lot of times we think it's impolite, right? Usually we, it's the, the children who are the ones who are honest. And you say, well, go, go ask Uncle David for something. Can I have a pony? Oh, no, you can't ask for a pony. That's you got to ask for something like an ice cream, something that Uncle David can get, and it's not going to cost him a lot of money. Our kids ask. It's part of why I love Make-A-Wish Foundation. I want to fly to Paris to get a prom dress, and it happens. Why do we not have that same perspective with the God of the universe? 
And again, I know it's, there has to be the understanding, the inkling that we do it within the perspective that God gives us according to his. But listen, there is no reproach in asking. God does not come and say, hey, quit asking. He says, go to the Father and ask with big prayers and big motives. See, he also tells us that we're supposed to imagine This is what 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says. But no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. An example of this is um, Mary Nelson. Mary Nelson was a, a young woman who found herself not being able to have a child, and so she continually cried out to God, Lord, please let me have a child. Please let me have a child. Please let me have a child. She ultimately becomes the woman who starts the first pregnancy resources in St. Louis and finds herself not having just one child, but thousands of children that she's responsible for. Dream big, Northside. The God who is the one who rules gives even according to his purposes beyond what we ask or imagine because there is more grace in him than there is need in us. And so we ask, we think, but then he says this power that we have is at work within us. And so we ask the question as we look back over the first couple of chapters, what is this power? And it's the Holy Spirit. It's what Neil read for us earlier. The Holy Spirit is given to those who are Christians. And the power that the Holy Spirit has is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's the power that God gives us access to. And so it's a physical power as well as a spiritual power. And the Spirit talks about is like dynamite. That's the word. That's where we get our English word, dynamite. It's an explosive power, and it's a power that is at work within us. And sometimes it's imperceptible, right? We don't always understand how God's working through us. But I want you to think back, for those who are definitely older, again, think of the movie The Karate Kid. And what did he teach him? Instead of teaching him karate from the beginning, he told him to what? To go out, wax on, wax off. He told him to paint the fence, paint up, paint down. Now, why did he do that? Because he was training his body to get ready so that he might be able to do karate. Same thing with us. God sometimes is working in our lives in such a way that we don't begin to grasp and understand, but he doesn't waste any of his training. His spirit is at work within us. And as he teaches us, as he begins to work within us, he does it within us personally. And he does it a lot of times by one momentary purposes. Listen to what Brian Chappell writes in regards to this. Consider a woman who teaches prostitutes alternative employment as hairdressers in Thailand. A man who teaches a mentally handicapped adult to paint. A woman who offers comfort to a newlywed distressed by the unfaithfulness of her husband. A woman who gives up a holiday to spend an evening with high school girls needing a friend. A woman who changes the diaper of a disadvantaged infant saved from the uncertainties of the foster care system. A man who lingers over a catechism with an African in a remote village so that that man will be an effective elder in the church of of the size of 10. A man who refuses to pay a bribe from the mission fund to a rebel leader in India. A secretary in a government office who encourages her boss with a promise to pray for him today. 
See, none of these acts of persons I know can be counted on to make any difference in the eyes of the world. But collectively, the power of God is at work in these Christians to change this world in ways that are unseen, unheralded, and unknown. God is transforming the world according to his power through us even now. See, even in momentary, what seems like useless and according to the world, meaningless acts, things begin to change. The power of God changes and works within us. One of the examples that was used was it was a guard pointing a gun to the head of one of the Jewish people at a camp, but he didn't pull the trigger. And the caption was this, change happens one decision at a time. Are you allowing God to work through you in small But pray for the big ways. Don't limit God. Let God come out of your box so that he can be the God of the Scripture. So Paul sings about this, but he also sings according to the praise of God's glory. He says, to God be alone the glory. To God alone. Now why is that? Because all glory needs to be given to him. And again, if we're honest, a lot of times our prayers and our desires focus on what the world has to give, right? Lord, give me um, satisfaction within the home or the career that I have. Lord, please don't let the, my 401 die in the midst of this government system. Please, God, give me good kids. Allow my kids to go to good colleges. Allow me to have great grandkids. Let me have, let me have, let me have, let me have. And God says we need to, to switch that around. Remember when, when the people brought in the, the uh, paraplegic and they let him down through the roof? And what does Jesus say? He says your sins are forgiven. That's not why they came, remember? They wanted their, their, their friend to walk. And Jesus says, the greatest thing that I've given, I've already given to him, his forgiveness of sins. But so that you might also understand, I'm going to allow him to walk as well. See, the greatest thing that we get is eternal life in Jesus Christ. God gave his son for you. And make it personal. God gave Jesus for you. And that is the greatest and the most costly gift that's ever been given so that all glory might go to him. And as we begin to set it up, there's something that that Paul makes, and again, we've been talking about it, of, of the church. He says that God might receive the glory in the church. Now, he says that all of us are being created to be a, a temple. We are a being builded up into. And again, we're fixer-uppers. You're not move-in ready. Okay, we learned about that last week. So there might be scaffolding, and there might be things that are going on that God, as he comes into us by the power of the Holy Spirit, he begins to change us. He begins to rip some things out. He begins to put new things in. See, all of this is is fixing us into the the dwelling place of God. And when that happens, it begins to change our priorities. Let me give you the illustration of Archbishop Colini in Rwanda. Now, 
archbishop is the one who's a part of the Anglican Church. And remember, our Anglican Church here in America and now Canada are dealing with issues that are not biblical. And so they've sent some of these people over to Rwanda to ask for help of how do we stay true to the gospel? How do we stay true to the word of God? And so what did Archbishop Colini do? He began to take these Christians, um, pastors, and he began to take them around Rwanda. And he showed them all the different places where 800,000 Tutsis died. And he came back to the place in the capital and he said, when we asked you in America to come help us, you didn't come. 800,000 people now dead. And now you come here asking for our help in America? And then he responded, we will come. Because that's how God changes the world. See, God is building his kingdom and it's happening all over the world and we're coming together because we are, listen, as a church, we're supposed to be the living demonstration of God's love, God's ministry, God's power to the world. He tells it specifically, the Israel are Jews and Gentiles, people who hated each other, who are coming together, who are now united in Christ, who are praying for one another, who are doing things for one another, and we are called to be one another together. Now, I know sometimes that looks bad. Are you kidding me? We're supposed to be the demonstration? Do you know how many hypocrites are in this church? Do you know how many people don't, aren't friendly to us? Do you know how many people mess it up? Do you know how many people gossip? Do you know how many people didn't get up today because they were too tired? And yet God still chooses to use the church. Listen to what Pastor Strain says in regards to this point. He says, but God has ordained glory and praise to arise from his church in a special manner. The word, the world you know, can speak in general terms about God's common grace, but only the church can speak from experience about saving grace. Angels who live face to face in the exalted presence of God's majesty can speak of his glory, but only Christians can speak of the transcendent God who stoops down to forgive them. Devils can speak in fear, even horror, and in hatred of God's justice and wrath, but only the church can speak of his love and adopting grace that they have received because wrath and justice have been poured out on another upon Jesus Christ, God's only Son. See, the church has more reasons than anyone else, anywhere else on the earth, and any angel in heaven to sing the praises of God. It is as though Paul were seeking to ignite us, to set us ablaze and make us worshiper. He wants us to see our God. He wants to see the church reverberating and pulsating with wonder and joy and holy awe at the wonder of who God is and what he's like and how he loves his people. God wants all of us, not just part And as he calls us to be the church, as he calls us to love one another, as he calls us to minister to one another, how do we do that? On a good day, we fail. When people ask me all the time, well, how do you think you're doing? How how are you doing with ministering to the people? And I go, I'm failing all the time. 
There's always one more text, one more email, one more invite to my house, one more person to go visit, one more counseling session to do, one more, one more, one more. I can't do it. I can't do it alone. And he says, you don't have to because we do ministry in Christ. So he gets glory within the church, but he gets glory more specifically in Christ because we're supposed to be like Jesus. He is our foundation. It's on him that we stand. And so what does Paul pray? He says, I want you to grow in your love and your knowledge of him. We need to know God's love for us, not our love for him. That wavers. But God's love never fails us. And what he does, he says, I'm going to start to transform you. And it doesn't mean that we become little gods. It means that it starts to change how we think. We begin to hate the things that God hates, and we begin to love the things that God loves. And how often does that happen? He says, forever and ever. See, it comes through all generations. See, we join with the saints. That's what we're doing. We're being called to what's happening in heaven right now. We're called to joy in giving glory and honor to God. It's preparing us. What we're doing right now for the life to come. One of the illustrations that was given in regards to this was the, a person who took his letterman jacket to college. And he wore his high school letterman jacket that had the letter and all the awards on it. And the, you know what happened with the people there at college? They don't care what you did in high school. See, we as Christians are preparing ourselves for the new heavens and the new earth. So he's calling us to love and minister, to be about things that are everlasting. The house you are in will fail. When I was talking to, to James Rinson House, and we're glad the Rinson Houses are back, um, and I was asking him, how was it out in Texas as you walked through it? And it was just overwhelming how much damage God is able to do. And we try, to, we try to protect from it, right? We, we put in our hurricane windows. We put up our shades. We put up our foundations. We do everything that we think we can. If God wants to take it, he's going to take it. That's the God we serve. And so he says, don't worry about things that are perishable. Worry about the things that are imperishable. And so he calls us to, to be glorifying him in all things for how long? Forever and ever. Forever and ever. So you understand the preciousness of now. Because God is at work within you so that you might reflect glory back to him forever. And how does Paul end this prayer? He ends it with the words, amen. And that means, yes, it is so. Pastor Richards said this about this very word, to God be glory in the church for which I serve in Christ Jesus, whom I love and trust and follow, and in my own life which I offer to God for this cause that is far greater than any other in the world. To God be glory right now, throughout all generations and forever and ever, through his power that he is able to do in me far more abundantly even than what I could ever ask or imagine.
Amen. So how do we leave this? And how do we begin to look at ordaining and installing rich fish? Rich fish cannot be a deacon in his own power. He needs Christ within him. And as he has Christ within him, then what Rich and what we need to begin to ask is how is he going to be a deacon beyond what we ask or imagine? You never know whose life you're going to touch. You never know when you're going to be called to participate in something. I've said this before to some people, but this hasn't probably been to everybody. Um, The first church that I was a part of, we had an elder who came to Christ because when he was in the military, when he was on leave, was at a hotel, a very cheap hotel, where you could hear through the walls. And on the other side of the walls, there's a man giving a gospel presentation to someone else. And our elder heard it through the walls and became a Christian. Don't limit God. Pray big. Do what William Carey says, expect great things from God and then attempt great things for him. I guarantee you, you will not be disappointed. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we ask that you would take these words and Lord, I know people are tired. I know people's Mindsets are very limited. But Father, this is where we don't limit you. Your spirit moves where it wishes. And you open the eyes of those who have been running from you. And so Father, if there are people here who don't know you, Lord, may they have heard very clearly that you love them. And you love them so much that you gave your only son. And what an incredible gift that is. But Lord, you didn't just pay for our sins on the cross. And that's an incredible gift. But you give to us Christ's righteousness, his perfection to us so that we might stand in your presence and call you daddy. And you hear us And you allow us to become co-heirs with Jesus Christ himself. We gain your riches because you're a God of mercy and grace. And so, Father, apply that to us this morning. May we give our lives to you. And then use them to bring all glory and honor to you. And we pray this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.